Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you once again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. And we want to motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make in a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time as it is Mother's Day weekend. And as such, we are honored today to have with us not one, but two very, very special guests who just happen to be mother and daughter. Their names are Deborah Grayson Regal and Sophie Regal. Deb and Sophie are the authors of the enlightening and timely book entitled, Go to Help, 31 Strategies to Offer, Ask for, and Accept Help. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Deb and Sophie. Thank you, nice to be here with you. The honor is really all ours. Sadly, we've only got about 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about both of your experiences, this incredible book. So if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Share with us, please, about this great book, uh, Deb and Sophie. What are the key messages of this fabulous book? Sophie, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I'll start with one. I think one key message is that everyone needs help in whatever way that, that looks like for them. And once we learn how to get rid of some of the, the misconceptions about asking for help or the, or the um, beliefs that we have about asking for help, it might actually be easier for us to create a community of help so that everyone can get the help they need, offer help to others, um, and ask for help in a way that feels helpful to them. Wow, that's quite interesting. And there was a lot there that resonated with me, especially when you said a community of help. Would either of you like to expound a little bit on that? That sounds fascinating. Well, I think one thing that we learned, uh, I was going to say back during the pandemic, uh, but considering we're still in a pandemic, we are still learning it, is that um, we can't and shouldn't go through things ourselves. We have learned in the last two years that we have needed help in very unusual ways. Uh, you know, I think about all of the parents who all of a sudden had to become teachers to their kids while still, you know, working a full-time job. So you had to help to, you needed help to learn how to do that. And we were offering help in ways that we never anticipated. So I think about our neighbor around the block who said, could I give you a couple of extra rolls of toilet paper? I don't want you to have to worry about it. <laughs> so from, from homeschooling to toilet paper, we have built uh, and are still trying to build a community where offering help and asking for help 
is not frowned upon, that people don't feel shame or stigma, but that people are actually celebrating the offers and the asks. Ah, that's so incredibly wonderful and giving, that's for sure. Now, I think I know the answer to this next question, having really gone through this wonderful book, Go to Help, but I need to ask it anyhow. Why do you feel someone should read your book? Oh, my goodness. Let me count the ways. So I think about the audiences for this book. And it's interesting that Sophie and I wrote a book together, but we had different audiences in mind. Uh, I mean, we had some overlap, but we also had particular audiences. So I wrote this book from the perspective of speaking to uh, leaders in organizations, as well as parents and partners, right? So couples that are together, people who have children and people in organizations who need to get better at asking for help and offering help. So from the perspective of those three audiences, and then Sophie, maybe I'll talk a little bit about why your audiences should read this book. For, for managers and leaders in organizations, it is really important to recognize that chances are you have been rewarded for one or two ways of helping, which typically look like, here, let me tell you what to do, or step aside, let me do it for you. Um, and those two ways are helpful until they're not. And so the belief is that uh, managers and organizations need to develop what we call help fluency, having a wide uh, vocabulary for ways to offer help. In addition, when managers and people leaders ask for help from the people that they manage, it builds a huge amount of empathy and trust. We also want people working in organizations to know how to ask for help in a variety of ways. So rather than I need help is to say something like, I really need somebody to sit down with me and help me create a plan. I'd love somebody to prioritize. Please don't solve this problem. I just need you to listen to me. Um, and that is true, whether you're a, a leader or a direct report in an organization, that dynamic is important if you're in a committed uh, relationship. And that dynamic is really important if you're a parent as well. So Sophie, maybe you'll talk a little bit about who your who was and why they should read this. I was writing it partially for parents and partially for teens and kids. And the reason why I wrote it for parents is that I know I would say 99% of parents have really good intentions when they're trying to help their kids. And often the intention does not match the impact. And so what we need to do is we need to talk to parents about what is their intention? What is their impact? And how do we get these two to match up? Um, and despite the fact that they want to help, oftentimes they can't or they're not the right person. And how do you grapple with that? Because it's a challenging thought to deal with. And on the other side, kids and teens need to learn how to advocate for themselves and say, you know, I appreciate you trying to help me. Um, here's what would actually help me more. So when kids and teens learn help fluency and have multiple ways that they know uh, that they need help in, um, they, can be they can articulate more specifically what kind of help they actually need. I have to share that, thank God for Monday celebrated last September, 15 years on the air. We have never done a show anything about this at all. And I never realized until I read the book and now during this, how really, uh, I don't want to say complex, but involved this is. There really, really is a lot more than might meet the eye here. And that dovetails perfectly with the next question. It seems that asking for help can and is very difficult at times. 
Why is it so hard? Well, I would say one huge reason that we talk about a lot is our mindset. So we often have these beliefs that if we ask for help, we're going to be thought of as incompetent or weak or not good enough. Um, and you can name a hundred more, but these mindsets get in the way of us actually asking for help. And what we talk about in the book is how do we replace these mindsets with different beliefs so that they actually lead us to ask for help more. And one of the things we talk about that, that fits in nicely with what Sophie said is that starting at around age seven, we start to associate uh, reputational risk with asking for help, right? So if I ask for help, I am at, I am potentially at risk of, of hurting my reputation. And uh, when we, whether we live in a family or work in a community or an organization that hasn't necessarily, uh, you know, not, not celebrated, we would love asks for help to be celebrated, but even appreciated, acknowledged, recognized, or neutralized ask for help, um, it, can, it can be pretty damaging. So we often think about the idea that um, parents are often rewarding their kids for, look at you, you did it yourself, right? So once we have this message or even an organization, right? Like it's time that you do this yourself. Once we get a message that says that doing it yourself is the optimal state, any other state that requires the assistance, support, direction, intervention of another person is less than. So we've got a lot of messages saying, you know what, you should be able to do this yourself. And so we start to believe that. That's certainly something that I have struggled with in my life. I must say, I wish we had had this conversation about 40 years ago, because my <laughs> career in big pharmaceuticals, I was in big pharmaceuticals in New Jersey for 30 years before becoming a Franciscan brother. And uh, there were a lot of attributes I didn't demonstrate. One of them clearly was not vulnerability. You know, the last thing I would do is ask for help. And that was detrimental, I know, to my career, but also it limited my ability to contribute and to do things in an effective way. And again, be more productive for the organization and the world, especially in a pharmaceuticals type area. But uh, this really is, is so, so fascinating. And I just want to say one thing about the word vulnerability. Please. I was having a conversation with uh, a leader who I was working with uh, not too long ago about the idea of vulnerability. And it occurred to me that we use, we now have come to use this word as a positive thing, right? You want to be vulnerable. And yet there are people, so I'm even thinking about you in, in Big Pharma, which is one of the industries that I work with, um, you know, you your industry and many other industries are inherently about protecting against vulnerabilities, right? So whether you work in financial services or healthcare care or biotech, right? Your whole job is to protect and prevent against vulnerabilities. So I've developed, um, as a result of this conversation that I was having with a leader, I've developed a whole range of, of language we can use to replace the word vulnerable when vulnerable doesn't feel like the right thing. So things to say, these are things that I wrestle with. These are things that I am still learning. Um, these are things that I have to continue to practice. These are things I'm learning about myself. And so when vulnerable feels like it is at odds with your business or mission, there's other ways to make yourself open to learning, growing, and admitting that you don't know everything. 
Thank you so much for that, because another hard lesson I've learned, and even here in higher education in the last 12 years, the language we use is critical. Words have meaning, and you're exactly right. Those phrases and those words you used are much better to use than vulnerable many, many times, uh, no question about it. Now, I think we answered some of this, but I'd like to peel the onion a little bit more, uh, Deb and Sophie, if it's okay, because I mentioned before, I didn't realize how complex, how involved this is. What makes giving help complex, if you will? So many things. Um, but I think one, one thing is when we give help, we often make assumptions about what the other person needs. And often these assumptions aren't right. Um, and so we forget to ask, you know, what do you actually need? Um, and we just go and act based on our assumptions. And also giving help can be tricky in power dynamic relationships. So it can be really hard if you're trying to give help to your boss or to someone above you um, because it just feels like an odd thing. Like they should be helping you. Um, how do you help someone who has authority or power over you? Um, those sorts of things can, can make giving help really challenging. Yeah. There's also a part of it that is um, that reputational piece, right? So if I'm offering help to you, how can I make sure that you don't interpret it as I think you're not capable? I think you're not smart enough. I think you're not good enough. Um, there, it's also tricky because uh, help is pretty culturally nuanced, right? So in some cultures, you only ask for help within your family, right? That The fact that there's something you're wrestling with you would never talk about this outside the family and other cultures are, you know, quite used to leaning on people in their community or an organization for help. And so we tend to think of the meaning of help as one size fits all, but it really has uh, cultural nuances and culture doesn't just mean country, right? If you grew up in a family that was very much about you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you figure it out, um, you might resist offers of help you may be reluctant to offer help to other people. Um, and so there are lots of nuances, even from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective that we don't often think about. And, wow. and, and the last thing that I just wanna mention is, um, if we have tried to be helpful in the past, but committed a few helping offenses along the way, somebody may be less likely to take our help in the future. And just a quick example of some of those helping offenses would be um, assuming that you sharing your own experience is helpful when it may not be. Um, having strings attached to your help is definitely makes somebody less likely to want your help in the future. And um, offering or agreeing to help when you can't, don't want to, or shouldn't, will make it less likely that somebody's going to accept your offer of help in the future. Wow. So it sounds like it is okay to say no. Oh, yes. More than okay. Wow. Fascinating. Absolutely. Now, of course, it's Mother's Day weekend. And so I've got to ask this next question. Mother and daughter collaborating. Why? <laughs> we love it. We have so much fun with each other doing this. Um, and I think we bring completely different perspectives, whereas uh, I, and I'm not going to age you, mom, I'm not going to say how old you are, but you're older than I am. 
Um, and so I bring a, bring a perspective from the younger generation and you bring from a, a more wise generation. How about that? Um, well played my dear. That's your mother's day gift right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we just work really, really well together. Yeah. And this was, this is actually our, the second book we've written together. So the first book that we wrote together was called Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life. It was a book that we co-wrote based on our uh, individual and shared experiences with anxiety disorders and uh, mental illness. And one of the chapters in the book, so we've spent the last couple of years, uh, you know, presenting in person and online about um, how to offer help um, for people's uh, mental health challenges, how to talk to people about stress in the workplace. And the one topic that people always wanted to dig into more was how can I offer a range of help or how can I identify for myself what I actually need when I say I want help? And as Sophie often jokes, rather than being like normal people and saying, okay, we'll put an article up about it. We said, oh, let's write a book about it. Oh. Well, you said that. And then I was like, okay, fine. I'll help you with that. That's probably the way that went down. Yes. Well, I'm so glad both of you did. And the world is glad as well. Now you mentioned you wrote a first book together. You've written a second together. What was it like to work together on this book? Was it similar? Was it different at all? It was completely different than the previous book because we had different publishers and this publisher had um, created a very strict plan for us, which was interesting because my mom is not known to follow instructions or to, or to like, okay, so my mom should never put Ikea furniture together because she will not follow the instructions. But But the instructions are just a suggestion. They're not a suggestion. Then you have leftover pieces. Okay. When your bed falls apart, you'll come back and say otherwise. Um, but it was interesting working together when we had a very strict plan because we, we had to encourage each other to follow the plan and follow the rules and trust the process. Whereas previously we were just like, oh, we'll, we'll write a book because we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll we don't have any, yeah, we'll figure it out. Wow. That's fascinating. So it really sounds to me like your relationship brought an awful lot to this project. Oh, yeah, I am. um, I'm not a natural collaborator. Sophie, I don't think you are either. Is that fair to say? Right. So let hold on. Let's say the two words that uh, that represent more than anything else. One, two, three. Group Group projects. projects. Group projects. Okay. And now let's say the two words that make us happy as a reward for any project. One, two, three. Ice Ice cream. There we go. So um, (laughs) we don't love, we are not natural collaborators. We are both pretty autonomous, independent. Uh, We both like our own rules, madame. Um, And in order for either of us to collaborate successfully, we really need to trust that we can hold the other person accountable for results, that the other person will let us know early if they need help so that we can help them. Um, And we also, apropos, know how to ask each other for help and how to offer help without overstepping. And I think that combination of us really understanding that this is not our natural way of working to collaborate, but that we, we trust each other's process and we have a very clear understanding of the outcome we want to achieve and that we were going to celebrate every milestone with ice cream made this a very effective collaboration. 
Oh, that is absolutely awesome. I'm going back to my big pharma days. We were talking about competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Your relationship clearly gives you both competitive advantage and the synergy. Uh, one plus one equals much more than two here. No question about it. Now, originally, I was going to ask this question to Deb, but maybe it's more appropriate to Sophie, but I'll, I'll leave it up to you. What do you want moms to know about this topic? The one thing that I often tell parents when I'm speaking about mental health and things like that is your kid needs help and it does not necessarily have to come from you. So you need to support your, your kid getting help, even if it means you're not involved in the help. Boy, that's amazing. That really sums it up beautifully. And let's go to the flip side, if this is okay. What do you wish kids knew about this topic? Uh, that help is always available. Um, There isn't anything that you have to suffer through alone. It may take one attempt, two attempts, or three attempts to get the kind of help that you're looking for, but be persistent in asking for help. I promise you there isn't anything that you have to go through alone. There isn't anything you've experienced that is so shameful um, that somebody else won't understand Uh, please go get help. And if you're hearing this right now and you're still thinking there's nobody, we will make sure that at the end of this, you know how to contact me and Sophie. Absolutely, no question about it. And this is really a question for you both because I'm now in my early 60s and I shared recently, working here for 12 years at a wonderful college, this tiny college here in Brooklyn, New York, I've had a sense and certainly the pandemic's been a part of this, but I think other things in the world as well, it's gotten harder and harder and harder for kids to grow up today. Would you agree? I'm just curious, would you agree with that? Would you disagree? Is it, has it always been difficult and I'm just seeing some different things? How would you respond to what I've shared there, please? So if you wanna take this one, do you want me to talk I'm thinking. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. All right, so I think it's absolutely harder. I mean, Sophie doesn't have anything to compare it to, so she can speak from the experience of what it's like to have your college experience disrupted by COVID. Uh, I can speak from the experience of um, having grown up as a, I'm a Gen Xer, so having grown up in the the 80s, really, 70s and 80s, uh, we had our, you know, the same hardships that are associated with adolescence, right? You're still, you know, trying to figure out your emotions, your body, what you're focused on, what you're doing with your time. Those things haven't changed. But I think um, the expectations uh, of what a kid is supposed to have accomplished by when is significantly higher. I think the amount of scrutiny that people are are under from, you know, social media and a variety of things uh, is uh, beyond anything that I ever could have uh, grown up with. I think the... um, ease with which people can make very quick judgments and then share that around the world is devastating, whether those are good judgments and then you feel like you have to keep producing or negative judgments and then you feel like you have to take care of your reputation. Um, I can tell you that I am glad that I grew up when I grew up, even if that meant that 
my VCR was a front loader and my microwave only knew how to pop popcorn. Um, I, I'm glad that I grew up when I grew up. Yeah, it's fascinating. You mentioned social media. I teach a class here at the college and the students just last week, they talked about the negative side. And I know there must be some positive sides. So again, being an older baby boomer, I don't fool around with the uh, technology and the social media. But they talk about some devastating things, bullying and other things on the social media. And as you said, trying to show their best side and the detriment, the criticism that can so easily happen. As you said, literally, it goes around the world. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So what's your thought from your perspective? Like you said, I don't really have much to compare it to, but I do think that social media has made it really hard for people to understand that not everyone is living a perfect life because what you see on Instagram or Facebook is everyone smiling, everyone having a good time. What you don't see is people having panic attacks, people going through breakups, people, you know, losing money, like all these things you don't see because why would someone post about that? Yeah. So, so well said both of you. Time is getting a bit short, but I've got three or four very important questions still to ask you. Maybe this sounds fundamental, but we're very curious. I'm sure the audience is as well. What do you do if someone doesn't want your help? So we tend to put this into a couple of categories. Maybe I'll talk about the first category. So if you talk about the second category. So there are some categories where, um, so in all of these cases, you want to think about balancing the outcome with the trust in the relationship, right? And there is one category where I guess we'll just call it too bad. I'm helping you anyway. Um, And that would be if somebody is at risk of harming themselves or somebody else. Uh, That would be if somebody was at, you know, danger of serious financial risk, reputational risk, legal risk, all of those things where you just go, I'm sorry, you don't want it. And I'm doing it anyway. Um, Most many people, especially parents, and I speak of myself, think that that category extends to a whole bunch of areas where it doesn't really extend. So that's one category called too bad I'm helping anyway. And it's a really, really narrow list of situations. So do you want to talk about the other categories? Yeah, the other category is when you shouldn't help and you don't help. And that's really hard for people to grapple with, with, you know, I'm wanting to help you and you don't want my help. What do I do? And that's that's a you problem, not a them problem. And what I mean by that is you need to learn to deal with the discomfort um, of not being able to help. And you might also benefit from changing your definition of help. So what I mean by that is um, if, if you want to help someone and they don't want your help, you might think of you not helping is actually helping them because they're learning how to do it on their own or they're learning how to make mistakes or learning from their experiences. And that is a form of help in and of itself. Just because you're not helping them in the way that you wanted to doesn't mean you're not actually helping them. I know I look back on my own life, certainly, and there are times that I was rejected. My offers to help others. And uh, I allowed my ego to get bruised, certainly. And instead of me saying it's about the other person, me serving them, you know, I wallowed in my self-pity and in retrospect, well, that was a terrible thing to do, no doubt about that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back gently, if I may, Please. about the Please. idea that that was a terrible thing to do. So, um, when you are experiencing a hard emotion, right, like guilt, embarrassment, shame, anger, 
like there's data in there, right? So if I think about, I'm trying to offer Sophie some help. Um, Sophie says no, and I feel hurt, disappointed, or upset. I, that's something worth unpacking. Why do I feel so upset? Well, I feel upset because I really care about her. I care about the relationship. Um, I care about achievement. And so I got a question, does Sophie care about achievement as much as I care about achievement? The real answer is more, um, but it's a really good opportunity to <clears throat> give yourself credit for having good intentions and good values. And if you can manage the emotions and recognize that this is representing a helpful value that I have without putting it on the other person, I think that's actually a really healthy, helpful response. Well, thank you so much because I could have really used it as a learning experience then and a reflective exercise and no doubt about it. Now, I'm very curious, I'm sure our listeners are as well. What are some ways of helping that many people don't consider asking for or even offering? Are there some of these? Well, my, my favorite one um, is helping someone celebrate an achievement. We often don't ask for help in that way. Um, but, you know, I just reached a, a goal of mine in my business. And um, I asked someone to buy me a Carvel cake to help me celebrate, right? Like I can ask for help in that way. Um, and, and I think most ways that don't involve doing it for you or fixing it for you or telling you how to do it are ways that people often don't think of. You want to name some, Mom? Uh, yeah. So some of the less known strategies that I think are really helpful. Um, it's a strategy that Sophie and I use with each other a lot, which is called carving the turkey. Um, mm -hmm. And carving the turkey is when you are facing something that feels really overwhelming, um, is to help that person break it up into uh, bite-sized parts, right? So just to listen wow. to them talk about what's going on and help them name all the things that they're here that they're saying, and then say, which of these parts do you want to put on your plate first? And what's the very first bite? That is incredibly helpful. And for our clients that have been in our workshops and programs, most people go up carving the turkey, even the vegetarians like that one. <laughs> yeah, people love that one. People love that one. And the one, one other one that I will um, share that I really like is um, helping somebody stop what they're doing. Right. So promote we the also, pause. Right. Promote the pause, which I think wow. is strategy, strategy 30 out of 31 in our book. And so we tend to think about helping as taking action. And helping sometimes can be about stopping an action that's actually putting you in the wrong direction. So we often think about uh, the great Simone Biles, right? Who sure. stopped, who stopped. She in the middle of the Olympics, she went, oh no this is not gonna be good for me physically or mentally, I need to stop. And I am very happy for the people who said that was exactly the right thing to do. And shame on the people who said she's an Olympian, she should have pushed through, shame on them. Boy, that's really great advice, no doubt about it. We at Deb and Sophie have saved the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners best purchase, go to help? And how can they best follow both of you? Excellent. So you can buy Go to Help on Amazon.com uh, or wherever your country is. And you can also find both of us on LinkedIn and on our websites. So uh, Sophie's website is 
Sophie Regal, S-O-P-H-I-E-R-I-E-G-E-L.com. And my website is a little longer uh, because I'm from the wise age. Is that what you said? The wise age. Uh, Debra.com. So D-E-B-O-R-A-H-G-R-A-Y-S-O-N-R-I-E-G-E-L.com. Terrific. Listeners, no excuse. Pick up this book. I know tomorrow's Mother's Day, so you may not be able to give it as a Mom's Day gift, but there's always next week and next month. Please, please pick up one of these for yourself. Pick up one for someone that you love and share this with them because your relationship, I can tell you after reading this great book, I am better equipped to help, to receive help, and you will be as well. And after you've done uh, buying the book and following uh, Deb and Sophie, don't forget about our social media, the Instagram, the Tweet Tweet, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Questions, comments, concerns, we love to hear from you. Sophie and Deb, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us today on this Mother's Day weekend. We wish you continued joy, success, contribution. And right now, certainly a terrific Mother's Day weekend. Uh, enjoy your time together. No doubt about that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for enlightening us and inspiring us. The importance of knowing how to help, how to be helped, et cetera. This, as I said, the first time in 15 years we've done a show of this nature. I've learned a lot. I know our audience has as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Deb and Sophie do, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week in another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone, and happy Mother's Day. Enjoy the special weekend. Bye-bye.